believe in the sovereignty of God, we believe that our God is the supreme power. He's in control of everything. And He is free from any external control. Any external control. Now, when we talk about God's sovereignty, it means that God, as the ruler of the universe, is ruler over all. He's ruler over all. And he has the right to do whatever he wants. He also has the power and the ability to do whatever he is pleased to do. Whatever he's pleased to do. And remember, the definition of sovereignty included freedom from external control. Freedom from external control. Beloved of God, our God, our great King, is not bound or limited by the dictates of His created beings. So He's not controlled by us. You know, sometimes in religion they say if you get enough people praying, you're going to change God's mind. That's just, that's just so wrong. That's just so wrong on so many levels. God does whatever he pleased to do. Now, he has us pray according, sometimes we don't even know it, to his will. And it comes to pass and we glorify God and we praise his name. But sometimes things don't come to pass like we want. But it's the way God wanted it to come to pass. And so we bow our knee as sovereign grace believers. We bow our knee to our great God, knowing that he's in absolute full control. So he's not bound or limited by the dictates of any of his created beings, any of his created creatures. He's in complete control over everything. That's our God. Now when we talk about sovereignty, it's often expressed in the language of kingship because that's how we would understand it for us. And in the fact that God rules and reigns, He's like an absolute sovereign over everything. Over everything. Now in the days of old, people would understand this a lot more because there was a kings. There was kings who ruled in absolute control. And if you went against what they said, they'd take your head off. That's just how it was. Or if you went against them, you'd end up facing either their armies or, or as I said, they'd, they'd, bring you, they'd haul you before them. But our God, he's a God who's in absolute full control. And he reigns over the entire universe. We've looked at this many times. He rules over everything visible and invisible. He's over it all. There is nothing that is above him and no one that is above him. Angels, which we don't see, are, are bound to his will and to his, his rule. Fallen or, or the elect, either ones. They're all under his control. All under his control. His will cannot be opposed. And no one and nothing can, can thwart him or stop him from doing what he wills. He is Lord of heaven and earth and he is enthroned. And his throne is a symbol of his sovereignty. His throne is a symbol of his sovereignty. And his will, again, is supreme, just like the definition. It's absolutely supreme and sovereign. So the sovereignty of God can be defined as the, the exercise of his supremacy. The exercise of his supremacy. He is Lord over all, far, far higher than any, any of us, independent in his rule and his will, being accomplished. He's subject again to no one, and he's influenced by no one. He is absolutely independent. Independent. That's our God. Now, now if you 
here in religion, that's not the God, same God, is it? It's not. But that's the God of the Bible, Father. He does whatever he's pleased to do. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46. And we'll see how our great God does whatever he pleases. When he pleases, and no one can change his mind. And, and no one can thwart his plans or purpose. The word of God clearly proclaims this wonderful truth. We know that in Daniel, right? Daniel says this in, in Nebuchadnezzar. And remember, Nebuchadnezzar was a great king, right? Nebuchadnezzar was a great king who ruled. He knew what it meant to be a king because he had a vast domain. A vast domain, a huge kingdom in this world. And he says, and at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, after he'd been eating dirt for a little while, we all know that story, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes into heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. So he knew what a dominion was, because he was a king. And his kingdom is from generation to generation. He saw that, he saw that God's kingdom surpasses human. It, it's, it's from generation to generation. It never ends. See, when a king's ruling here on earth and he dies, that's the end of his reign, isn't it? Someone else takes over. But our God's rule is from generation to generation. He's unchanging. He's unchanging. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Now look in Isaiah 46 and look at this. And that's over there. What I just quoted was Daniel 4, 34 and 35. And look at this in Isaiah chapter 46. Verses 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. That means that any, any other supposed gods out there are false gods. They're false gods. None else. And there is none like me. Look at this. Declaring the end from the beginning. And he does that in Scripture, doesn't he? He, he tells us things that are going to come to pass. He already knows. He knows the end from the beginning. We only know the beginning of our life to the end. He knows the end to the beginning. He knows how it's all going all gonna, to, to, to come to pass because it's all according to His will and purpose, beloved. Look at this. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done. Wow. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Now that right there is the, the proclamation of a sovereign king. I will do all my pleasure. Now for the believer, now for the believer, we, we rejoice in this, don't we? Because that's our King. That's our Savior. And we know that we're saved in Christ. And He does whatever, He's God, He does whatever He pleases. I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. God, Christ came down here and He died for His people, didn't He? The ones that the Father gave Him. Willingly. Oh my. So the same truth of sovereignty is proclaimed also in the New Testament as well. We saw it there in the Old Testament, and I read Daniel 4, 34 and 35, and Paul writes by inspiration of the Holy Spirit over there in Romans chapter, 19, Romans chapter 9, turn there if you would, Romans chapter 9, I'm getting ahead of myself, and I said 19. Romans chapter 9, Paul by inspiration of the Holy Spirit Talking about the potter and the clay and how the clay has no power, but the potter has all power to make the clay whatever he pleases. And Paul states that God will have mercy on whomever here have mercy. Knowing that, and knowing that natural man would object to this, knowing that natural man would, would object to this, he pens these words again, again by 
by the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, Paul pens these words knowing that men will recoil when, when, when we say that God does whatever he pleases. Look at this in Romans chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. And remember that these words are written by the inspiration of God. That will say unto me, Why doth he yet find fault for who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Who are we to say to God, well, that's not fair that you save some and you pass by others? Who are we to say that? Who are we to say that? Shall the thing formed say to, to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? So that lump there, again, is humanity. It's humanity. So God has the power as the potter to make one vessel of honor and to make one vessel of dishonor. He has the power. Again, we've talked about this many times, about how the potter has absolute control over the clay. Absolute control. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering, the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he, made, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. Now, this is divine sovereignty right here before us. Divine sovereignty. Divine sovereignty means that God is God. And that God can do whatever he pleases. Period. That's it. If, if, if God can't do anything he pleases, then he's not God, is he? You see? But if God can do whatever he pleases, which he can, and he's the absolute supreme ruler, which he is, then he is the one true God. He can do anything, anytime he pleases. He is a king, supreme, ruling and reigning in the throne of the universe, high over all things visible and invisible. And everything, whether you believe it or not, is subject unto him. Everything. That is spirits. Everything, beloved, are subject to our great God. He is a supreme ruler. Whether everything he's created is subject to him. Everything. And he does all things after the counsel of his own will. Whatever it pleases him to do. My. Spurgeon said this. Here's a wonderful quote by C.H. Spurgeon on this. He said, There is no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. So the, the fact of God's sovereignty brings great comfort to God's people. He goes on to say, Under the most adverse circumstances and the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions. That's true, isn't it? That's what we believe. That sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will sanctify them all. There is nothing for which the children ought more earnestly to contend than the doctrine of their master over all creation, the kingship of God over all the works of his own hand, the throne of God in his right to sit upon the throne. We should contend for that, beloved, because it's absolute truth. It's absolute truth. And what comfort it brings the believer to know that our great God is in full control. Full control. Now, uh, this is a doctrine which we trumpet from our pulpits as grace believers. 
And it's a truth which brings great comfort again to God's born-again, blood-washed people. And yet it is one of the most hated doctrines among religionists. It's one of the most hated doctrines around, among religious and, and among, among the lost who are dead in their in trespasses and sins. Men will talk about God being sovereign over everything but salvation. Studying for this message, I was reading a couple articles. I couldn't believe it. I'm reading a couple articles, and this guy's saying, oh, you know, God's sovereign here, sovereign here. And as soon as it got to salvation, but man has a will. Click. Goodbye. Man has his free choice to choose. Well, that makes man sovereign. That makes man sovereign. Now, do we willingly come to Christ? Absolutely. But we're made willing in the day of his power. God is sovereign over salvation and providence. He's absolutely sovereign over all things. Over all things. Sometimes men will talk about God being everywhere all the time. They say that he's a God of love and, and he is beloved. And he's a holy God and a just God who's totally righteous and he's angry with the wicked. With a righteous anger. And some, again, speak of his sovereignty and creation, yet they proclaim that God is sovereign in all things except the salvation of man. And when you mention that God is sovereign over that as a sovereign grace believer, then the knives come out. I've seen it. I've experienced it many, many, many times. And even when I was lost religionist, I reacted the same way. So it doesn't surprise me when people react that way because I did the same thing when I was lost. I didn't think it was fair. Well, you know what? I don't want fair. Do you? Because fair would mean I'd be in hell. That would be fair. I want mercy. <laughs> I, want mer I know you do too, you who believe. I know you want mercy because I do too. And I praise God that I've received mercy. Mercy. Mercy from God. Boy, you tell people that God saves people when He wills and, and, and whom He wills and in the world and false religion, they have no toleration for that kind of God. But that's the God of the Bible. That's the God of the Bible. Speak of the sovereignty of the infinite Jehovah, both in salvation and creation, and see the response you get from natural man. They'll get mad, they'll turn a deaf ear to what you're saying. They speak of their supposed wills and the freedom that they have to choose, not knowing that the whole time that their will is actually a slave to their own dead nature. That's what their will is. It's a slave to their nature. Because they're dead in trespasses and sins and they desperately need Christ. And God upon the throne is who we love to preach and proclaim, isn't it? And it's who you love to hear. It's who you love to hear about. It's the one we trust. It's the one who saved us by his grace and mercy, which has bestowed upon us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has saved us and redeemed us by the shedding of his own precious blood, by him giving his life for us at Calvary's cross. We looked at the verse over in Timothy last week where it proclaimed that there is only one potentate, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Not some man falsely claiming to be one in Rome. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one potentate. Only one. I looked up potentate in the English dictionary. I looked it up this week, and this is how it's defined. A monarch or ruler. A monarch or ruler, especially an autocratic one. 
And then I looked up the word autocratic, which is in the definition, and it means this, relating to a ruler who has absolute power. So that's what that false man claims to have over in Rome. Isn't that wild? There's only one potentate, beloved. <laughs> that's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our Savior. That's our Savior. That's our Lord. Only one, only one who has absolute authority over all things. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. No one else. No one else. It means one also who is in supreme power. Is this not what the scriptures that we've looked at proclaim? That our Lord, our Lord is absolutely sovereign. Turn, if you would, to Psalm 115 and 135. And this is proclaimed again about the fact of God's absolute sovereignty. Note, David also faced the same questions that we do. Because why? Because there's nothing new under the sun, is there? Human nature hasn't changed. Since the fall, men hate God in their natural state and they question his workings. And the answer that David gives is the same answer we give today. Same answer. The answer's not changed, and you know what? It never will, beloved. The answer never will change. Look at this in Psalm 115. Not unto us, O Lord, verse 1, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Look at verse 2. This is, what, this is what the heathen said in David's day, and it's what they say in our day too, isn't it? It's the same thing. But we're going to see that the answer that we give is the same too. <laughs> it, it doesn't change. Look, they, they say, wherefore should the heathen say, where is now your God? They say, where's your God now? I told you guys a couple stories before, about one, one about... Brother Gene Harmon, when his son died in the construction site. And that guy said, right after it, where's your God now, Gene? Brother Henry Mahan, when his son died in Vietnam, they were asked the same question, where's your God now, Henry? And you know, both men gave the same answer. And this is the answer they gave. Our God is in the heaven. Look at verse 3. But our God is in the heaven, and he hath done whatsoever he pleased. That takes grace, doesn't it? Oh, my the Lord gave him grace to respond in that way. See, our God's in the heavens. He done whatever, whatsoever he pleased. That's the God of the Bible. That's the God of the Bible. Turn now, if you would, to Psalm 135. Our God is sovereign in majesty and power. He's unaffected by anything or anyone outside of himself, beloved. Look at this in Psalm 135. We'll read verses 5 to 13. And take note of verse 6 while we read this. Verses 5 13. For I know that the Lord is great. What a statement. He is great. And he's greatly to be praised, beloved. And that our Lord is above all gods. Look at, notice the little g. All those other gods are list, They're just false gods. Our God is the one true God. Whatsoever the Lord please, that, look at this in verse 6. Look at this. This just, just trumpets the absolute sovereignty of God. And remember, this is our Savior. This is our Redeemer, beloved. This speaks of him. Because our, our Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's God incarnate in the flesh. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that he did in heaven and in earth and in the seas and all deep places. He does whatever he's pleased to do. That's what that says. That, that, that one verse right there just proclaims the absolute sovereignty of God. And it's wonderful to the believer. Look at this. He causes the vapor to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings for rain, for the rain. He bringeth the wind out of his treasuries. 
who smote the firstborn of Egypt, both of men and beasts, who sent tokens and wonders into the midst of thee, O Egypt, upon Pharaoh and upon all his servants, who smote great, great nations and slew mighty kings, Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan, and gave their land for an heritage, and heritage unto Israel, his people. Thy name, O Lord, endureth forever and ever, or forever, and thy memorial, O Lord, throughout all generations. Look at that in verse 6. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth and in the seas and all deep places. What a verse to write to our hearts, beloved. My There's no limits to our God's rule. Ponder that. There's absolutely no limits to our God's rule. There's nothing that doesn't happen to us that's not under His control. There's... And and again, this is is what makes God God. He would not be God if He wasn't sovereign over all things. But our God is sovereign over all things. In verse 6, plainly, in Psalm 135, there proclaims that. Our God is so different than us, He's never frustrated. He's never, we get frustrated, don't we? He's never frustrated. He's never helpless. We find ourselves in more and more in helpless situations as grace believers, don't we? We often see ourselves as absolutely helpless without our God helping us. He's never helpless. He's never helpless. And think upon this, that our salvation in Christ alone and God's awesome, sovereign providence is worked out in our lives and we experience it. And we're in awe of our great God and we feel that we feel and know that we are secure and free in Christ, aren't we? And we are. And we can say that based upon what? Based upon our God's sovereignty. Based upon that our Redeemer is God Himself. God incarnate in the flesh. Turn, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 14. Jeremiah chapter 14. We'll see the contrast between the false gods of the Gentiles with the sovereignty of our great God. And we'll come across a word here called vanities. The vanities of the Gentiles. And this is a reference to their false gods which the Gentiles worshipped. Jeremiah 14, verse 22. And we can even tie this in with the false gods out there today that people bow down and worship. There's no difference. And look what they're called. They're called the vanities of the Gentiles. Verse 22. Are there any among the vanities of the Gentiles that can cause rain? Any of them? Or can the heavens give showers? Art thou not he, O Lord our God? Therefore we will wait upon thee, for thou hast made all these things. Do you see the contrast there? Of the vanities of the Gentiles from the great God of the universe? John Gale brings this forth on the verse that none of the idols of the Gentiles called upon, they were all called vanities because it was a vain thing to apply to them any hope or anything, whether it be rain or anything. They could not give it. They were pieces of stone and rock. And then the contrast is, 
Therefore we will wait upon thee, being the true and living God, for thou hast made all things. None of these false idols could bring rain or cause it to rain, but a great God could. A great God could. Art thou not he, O Lord our God? Therefore we will wait upon thee, for thou hast made all things. He is the everlasting and unchangeable great I am. Great I am. And I love how John told me how he talks to people about who we worship. And John, that's wonderful to say that. He says, I worship the great I am. That's who we worship. And if people say, well, who, well, well, who's the great I am? The Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> he said so himself. In the book of John, he said before Abraham was, I am. He's the unchanged. That, that title proclaims his, un, he, he never changes. He's absolutely sovereign. He's our covenant God. And only he can give rain, as they said in Jeremiah here. And, and, and this, is only attributed, this is only attributed to God himself. Turn back four chapters in Jeremiah there to Jeremiah chapter 10. And we'll look at this with awe and wonder. And then put your finger in Mark chapter 4. Only God can give rain. And keep in wonder and awe too that, that the one spoken of here is the keeper of our souls. The one spoken of here is the keeper of our souls. The one whom we trust and the one who we rest our eternal souls in. Look at this in Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 10 to 13. But the Lord is the true God. What a statement. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and, the everla and, and an everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth shall tremble and the nations shall not be able to abide his indignation. There's absolute sovereignty of God again proclaimed. It's all through the scriptures, beloved. It's all through the scriptures. Thus shall ye say unto them, the gods that have not made the heavens and, and the earth, even they shall perish from the earth and from under the, these heavens. He hath made the earth by his power. He spoke it into existence. He hath established the world by his wisdom and hath stretched out the heavens by his discretion. When he uttereth his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens that causeth the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings with rain and bringeth forth the wind out of his treasures. So there it proclaims that God is the one who he sends the rain, isn't it? Very plainly. Now turn if you would to Mark chapter 4. Now think upon those verses that show our God's absolute control over all things and by his almighty power. And note what the Lord Jesus Christ does here by manifesting his divine power. Now never forget and, and we don't, that, our, that our Savior is God incarnate in the flesh, beloved. <laughs> oh my, he's the one spoken of there in Jeremiah. Look at this. Now, now this is wonderful. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. In the same day, when the evening was come, he said unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there was also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat unto the ship, 
so that it was now full. And they said this was a, just a monster tempest that had just come. Huge storm on the, on the sea. And he was in the hinder parts of the sleep. Where was he? He was asleep on a pillow. <laughs> oh, my. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Now all this has come about. Why? So that he can manifest his power, isn't it? It's all according to God's will. And he arose, look at this. Now remember, remember we saw in Jeremiah, the one who sends the rain is God. Well, look at, his, look at the Lord Jesus Christ's divine power manifest here. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And that's like, I, I never forget when back home in Canada, sometimes you go to a lake and it's just like glass. You get it here too in Michigan. It's just like glass, beloved. That's what that's talking about. So imagine, there was huge ways the boat was getting filled with water. All, they, were, they were fearful for their lives. And then all of a sudden, he gets up and he rebukes the winds and the waves and there's just utter calm. Utter calm. He's, he's manifesting his divine power, beloved. He's manifesting who he is. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to, one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? He's God incarnate in the flesh. That's my Savior. Is he yours? That's the one who saved me. My. Only God, beloved, can control the wind and the rain. And the Lord Jesus Christ is God incarnate in the flesh. And he came to this earth to save his people from their sins. And the believer says, wonder of wonders. This is amazing. And no doctrine is more despised by the natural mind than the truth that God is absolutely sovereign. Because you know why? It goes against human pride. It goes against human pride. The natural man loathes the suggestion that God orders everything, controls everything, and rules over everything. They hate it. They hate it. And the reason this occurs is that the carnal mind burns with enmity against God. It abhors the biblical teaching that nothing comes to pass except according to his eternal decrees. And the thing that the flesh hates most of all is the notion that salvation is entirely God's work. Because they want to do something. If God chooses those who would be saved, and if it was his choice was settled before the foundation of the world, then believers deserve no credit for their salvation, do we? And that's what we proclaim. We don't get what we deserve. We receive mercy. Mercy. Therefore, we proclaim, as the Scriptures proclaim, that salvation is of the Lord. It was for those who were given to Christ by the Father that Christ died for. They were given to Him in the everlasting covenant. And Jesus was appointed as their head. And He took their responsibilities, their sins upon Himself. And He wrought out a righteousness for them which is perfect and eternal. Now, we don't know who God's elect are, do we? We have no clue. Therefore, we preach the gospel to all. Right? And the Holy Spirit draws in His people, regenerates them, 
turns them to Christ, and we run to Christ, don't we? That's why we say, flee to Christ. He's the only hope. He's the only hope for sinners. And it was for God's people, those who were given to Christ by the Father, that Christ died for. They were given to him in the everlasting covenant, and Jesus Christ was appointed their head. And he, again, he, he willingly came to this earth to redeem them from their sins. And it was our great sovereign God who sent and appointed the Lord Jesus Christ to come into this world and to die for his bride. And that's what we are. We're the bride of Christ. Blood-bought believers are the bride of Christ. He was made in the likeness of, of, of our flesh, yet he was sinless. We're sinners, but yet he was sinless. And he magnified the law and honored it in our place. And he bore the sins of all his people on Calvary's cross. And he made a full atonement for all the sins of God's people. Paid for in full. Oh, how that makes my soul rejoice. And I know it you too, you who are his blood-bought people. He was buried and rose again on the third day for our justification. According to the scripture, now he sits as the mediator at God's right hand. Ponder this truth and be in awe. You who are beloved of God, Christ took your place at Calvary's cross. He took your place at Calvary's cross. He took that place before the law and justice of God. And now his righteousness is yours. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Because of his atonement on Calvary, now his standing before God is yours. You ever ponder that? Because he took our place on Calvary, now his standing before God is ours. That's why we can appear in the presence of God. Because of the righteousness of Christ. He's given us eternal life. And because of what Christ has done for us, there is not a single condition for us to meet. Not one. Not one. Not a single responsibility for us to meet for our salvation. It's all in Christ. By one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now we know that the sovereignty of God was on full display in the different ways in which he dealt with his creatures as part of the angels fell and part he kept. Adam and Israel were placed on conditional footing and continued the blessing was dependent upon their obedience to God. But let us marvel at the contrast of those things even, beloved, with the little flock of God. He has given us an unconditional, immutable standing in God's covenant. It's not conditioned on anything in us. It's all conditioned on Christ and what he's done. So all the blessings of the covenant are wholly dependent upon what Christ has done for his people. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having the seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. What a sure foundation the believer has. What a sure foundation on which we stand. It's a perfect foundation because it's in Christ. Nothing can be taken away and nothing can be added to this wonderful salvation that we have in Christ. Nothing. I know that whatsoever things God doeth, it shall be forever. That's including our salvation. It's wonderful. 
it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken away from it. And God doeth it that man should fear before him. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 14. Think of that in light of your salvation from a sovereign, almighty God. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Oh, praise his mighty name. Heavenly Father, we thank thee for the wonderful salvation that we have in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we who are your blood-bought people, we rejoice that you did not leave us dead in our trespasses and sins, but we've been born again, regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And we've been taught these wonderful truths of your absolute sovereignty in, in, our, in our absolute unworthiness and salvation and how you, you have had mercy upon, upon, mercy, upon undeserving sinners, which is what we are. Lord, we praise your name. We seek that you be glorified and magnified through the rest of the rest of the services today in Jesus name. Amen.